All right. So we are in Philippians this morning. I will go back to James one of these days and maybe finish off James. We stopped it somewhere long COVID. I can't remember when, but I'm I'm being so blessed. I don't know about you and challenged through Philippians that I don't I don't want to stop doing Philippians. Um, and maybe eventually we'll get to to back to James. As long as I don't preach one verse every month, uh, we'll get there. But today we are in Philippians and we're going to look at um, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. Yes, we're going to cover 27 to 30. As you recall last time, we did cover just the first part of verse 27, <clears throat> something that was so dear to Paul's heart which was only to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we spoke about that, that Paul's, in Paul's heart, it was that if there was only one thing that you will do in this world, will be this, to live as citizens of heaven, but to be holy and to live blameless, pure, in this perverse and crooked generation. And we spoke about that no one is excluded from living this way as a Christian. In fact, no Christian is excluded from living worldly as well. And Paul, what was dear to his heart was that, that we would walk in a way that will be pleasing to the Lord. But this was dear to the Apostle Paul, that we will be holy and blameless. But I want to share something with you. This was dear to the prophets of old. The prophets of old desired the people of God would walk holy and blameless as citizens of God. <clears throat> this was dear to, to the prophets and it was dear to the apostles. The apostles' desire was for the people of God to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. This was to the hearts, in the hearts of the reformers. Uh, that they would die crucified and, and burned at the stake and holding the, the truth of the Bible. That this was dear to the Puritans, whose desire was to purify the church of ungodliness and sin and worldliness. This was pure to the heart of Christ. It was dear to Christ. And living this way ought to be dear to us this morning. Of course, we have, we have covered a few things and spoken about that this church is a healthy church, is a good church, but it had its problems that Paul started to now flesh out and to add insult to injury, if I may, uh, they were to be aware of dogs and evildoers, people, false teachers. So not only they had problems within themselves, that worldliness, and they had to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, but they had falsehood, false teachers that they needed to be aware of. And next week, God willing, we will see this. Paul takes it even further for the unity of the saints. We need one another, brother. This whole sermon will be about that. Last time we spoke about as living as citizens, but now we're going to speak about how this works. We need one another. We have the flesh. We have temptations. We have persecutions and trials and tribulations in life. We need one another to encourage one another so that we can fight the good fight, so that we can forsake the world and embrace holiness and shun evil and ungodliness. And this morning we're going to see in detail how this actually pans out according to Paul. So last sermon was part one and we looked at the bride and the gospel living life and we covered the first point which was a call for gospel living. This morning we will look at the second point, the qualities of the bride of Christ, which means that's the revelation of gospel living. The revelation, and we will look at four qualities if the Lord wills this morning that we will do well to aspire for if we want to live as heavenly citizens here on earth. 
And this may be a time to really examine where are we or what are we doing? We often speak about the togetherness and the togetherness and the togetherness and it never ceases to amaze me that every verse I look to, this is what we read together. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, 27 to 30 together and see what this says to us. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way being alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction to them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Live your lives as soldiers who are always ready to fight, always ready to guard. Soldiers are meant to be on guard 24-7 and what they've been assigned, so that the enemy would not penetrate. Everyone in the army is filling their role and they are on guard. But what happens if one of the soldiers who are at war falls asleep? What happens? The enemy breaks through. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, Be on alert. Wake up. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. This is, these are strong words. How much do we need to be strong? How much do we need to be these soldiers for Christ? Men and women. We need men and women to step up and not be sleepy in the background. Hold fast to that truth. Hold on to that teaching, Paul is saying. What you received, protect it. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the elders in the book of Acts, let me tell you something. There is a reason where Wes and I, we are so zealous about the truth that we will protect it with our lives. When Paul wrote to, 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 to the elders in Ephesus, In the book of Acts, it says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will will arise men speaking perverse things and, and draw away even disciples after them. Do you see why we need one another? And you may not know this, but there have been people in the past where they came in with error and false doctrine. And by the grace of God and humbly and lovingly, we had to remove them. Why? Because we love the truth of God. We love the gospel of God and we love the people of God so that you would not be led astray. How do we do this? Look at the verse one more time. Verse 27, so whether I come and see you or remain absent, I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind together. Together, one spirit, not a separate spirit, not a different spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is, this is you. Uh, That's talking about your inner being, your emotions, your will, your affection, your mind. That you are together like this for one purpose, one drive. Having the same holy convictions. Your arms in arms and you're sharing responsibility as soldiers. How can we fight anything on our own? We have to deal with problems of life, sicknesses, death, trials, 
persecution. You'll read that in a second in verse 28. In no way being alarmed by your opponents. There are troubles in life. And yet, one Christian stands by himself and he says, I'm pretty strong. Sure. I believe the scripture teaches that two are stronger. I believe the scripture teaches that if we come together, we become a fortress for Christ. There is a reason why Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. For either of them, if either of them falls, the one lifts him up, his companion. But but woe to him who falls when there is no one to lift him up. It's unscriptural for you to say, I am a soldier in my own army. It makes no sense. I am a Christian with my own Jesus. Stand firm together in one spirit, in one mind, so that we can fight the schemes of the devil with the truth of God. Stand firm together against unrighteousness, against sin, against the work of darkness, against temptations, against the world, against false teachings together. This is what Paul wants to hear. Now what happens? Again, if a soldier falls asleep and he moves from his post, what happens to that army? And if a believer who belongs to the same congregation, that believer slacks off from his position, what would happen to the church that he's supposed to be guarding? Do you see that? What happens if one person is removed from that army? You're not the only one who's affected. The rest is affected. And Paul is saying to the church whom we have seen, they had problems. They had temptations from worldly temptations that the Romans will have power and possession and greed and ungodliness and now false teaching. He's saying, stand firm. We have similar pressures, do we not? That's why we need to be in our posts. So that we don't, we don't come and give God the bare minimum. Here I am, and now I'm not. We have worldly things around us that toss us to and throw. There's persecution in our lives. Now, what happens if that Christian removes himself from Christ's army? Well, the impact is on the whole platoon. It's on the whole church. So Paul is saying, I want to see that you are not moved, that you are firm, that you're a strong army that can take on anything. And you do so together. And praise God that the Apostle Paul also wrote that God himself is able in chapter 14, verse 4 of Romans, to make us stand. It is by the strength of God. It is by the grace of God. It is by the Spirit of God. It is because you have a new heart and new desires and new affections that you can do so. But if you're on your own, woe to you. No one's there to pick you up. And you're going to fall. I guarantee you, you will fall. Why do I guarantee it? Because the Bible says so. That's the first quality. The second quality, look with me at verse 27. We're still in verse 27. I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So here Paul, he gives us another visual aid. First he spoke about conduct yourselves, which we spoke about that at means citizenship. And they would have understood that visually because uh, they made a contrast between uh, uh, the citizenship that they had under the Roman colony and the citizenship in heaven. And then he says, stand firm and, and be like a soldier. And now this word striving has another meaning as well. But let me just break it down for you. He says, I want to hear that you're striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now listen, brethren, I beg of you, if you take home this, I will be glad. Striving 
This word means struggle alongside. Did you get that? That is to labor alongside someone. Isn't that wonderful? What God gives this apostle by the Spirit of God for us to understand, it is to get your hands dirty next to your brother and sister and strive together, labor together. And by the way, this word speaks of an athlete who is committed to to compete, but to compete with the teammates. He's not competing on his own. He's not running the race. He's not playing by himself. He's playing in a team and it's present active. It's it's continuous. He's continuously playing. And by the way, an athlete works hard so that he can win. Let me just explain this again. I've gone through this before, and this saddens my heart. Let me tell you what Christianity is not, according to the Bible. It's not a spectator sport. If we're talking about an athlete, it is not that you go and watch a soccer game and you enjoy the soccer game, you watch the soccer game, you know how trained they, hard they trained, and you watch them play, you watch them win, you watch them lose, you go home, you're joyful, perhaps you're a little bit sad, only to come back the next week and do it again. Christianity is not an umpire sport either. And that means that you come and you just look and you judge and you say, this guy, according to the rules, is not doing it well. Yellow card for you. And the next person is doing it really, really bad. Hey, that's a red card for you, buddy. That's not Christianity. Christianity, three, you're not competing against another Christian. You're not competing against your teammates. You're competing with them. Christianity. I'll tell you what Christianity is according to the scriptures. It is a believer who's part of the same team. He's kicking in the same direction. He's going against the same opponent. And he's aiming for the same trophy, working hard together so that Christ will be magnified in them. This lonely thing, and I'm all by myself at home, does not exist in the scriptures. This is what we're reading right here. The one striving together, he does not mind. If in that team he is the goalkeeper, he is the midfielder, he, he is the defender, he does not even mind if he's the water boy. Why? Because they are laboring together for the same team, for the same purpose, for the same coach, Jesus Christ. And their desire is to have the same price. The Apostle Paul later on says, I press on towards the goal for the price that is upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Together. But there is times when there is no unity, right? This unity does take place in the church. What happens? People start to become bitter. Perhaps they think others are better. They think they're better than them. And there is grudgingness, selfishness. There is no harmony. We will see later on in chapter 4, verse 2. And that's what was happening with... um. Judea and Syntyche, if I pronounce that right, two women who are arguing and they bring in um, discord in the, in, in the body of Christ. This unity can take place when a person is not satisfied. They don't like the chairs. Something really silly can take place. Someone brought pies, but they weren't four and 20 pies. And they're not happy. And no longer you look at them as your team, all of a sudden they've become your enemy. And instead of speaking godliness to them and love and peace and joy and encouragement, 
you gossip about them and you slander them. Now, you're fighting alongside with them. You are fighting against them. And all of a sudden, you've got a pocket of little people. Because I don't like to hang around with this guy because he done something wrong with me. Uh, wow, I love you, brother, but I don't have to hang around with you. Please give me a Bible verse that says this. No. In fact, if he's done you harm and he's discouraged you and he's done something wrong with you, then next week or the week after that, perhaps, we will look at the example of Jesus Christ. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let us never forget, brothers and sisters, we are supposed to be united in Christ. We have enough problems, an enemy who wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ at Saving Grace Bible Church as well, and we have the flesh. Let's not fight with one another. Be on the same team. Don't fight your teammates. Don't go against your, your uh, soldiers within the same platoon. We are called by the same king to live that kingdom of God here on earth as citizens, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. We're meant to be striving in what we believe. And the scripture tells us that we're meant to be united in what we believe, what we received from Christ. We're meant to live it out, love the gospel, and live the gospel. And if we're living as citizens of heaven, then no believer here ought to be alone. If we belong to Saving Grace Bible Church, we ought to be in one mind, one spirit, with one faith for the gospel of Jesus Christ and striving together. So we stand together as soldiers. We fight what is right. We shun what is evil. And as athletes, we run the race together, together for the faith of the gospel. Amen. We are called to do this, brothers and sisters. We're called to be together. This is how we live out our citizens here on earth. And that brings us to the third quality. Look at verse 28. After the, the apostle says, You stand firm in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction to them, but of salvation to you and that too of God. The third quality is witnessing for the gospel together. We, we don't have to be persecuted alone. We don't have to suffer alone. Paul is talking here in general, in no way being aligned by your opponents. He's talking about opponents within the body of Christ, against the body of Christ, I should say, to all of them. What a wonderful thing I see happening here at Saving Grace Bible Church when Sister Rachel invites us over and we're together for the gospel. Uh, we are sharing faith with her unbelieving family and I invite Rachel over to my house and she's sharing faith with my unbelieving family. They're, they're opponents. They're against the gospel. Paul is saying, do this together. You don't have to do it alone. But you see here, when Paul speaks to these first century believers, to them, it wasn't only expected to suffer for Christ and to have opponents. It was the norm. It was normal. And no Christian, we will see that in a minute, in the fourth quality, which is to suffer for Christ. No Christian has ever had a rosy life. No Christian, no believers exempt from afflictions, opponents, a terror. Think about that, brethren. The Apostle Paul's in prison when he's writing this. And of course, these believers and their opponents, they knew exactly what they, they were looking at, both physically and doctrinally. They had opponents. Now, let me just share with you, becoming a believer to the Jewish people back in them days was not 
so much what the false teachers teach today. Just come to Jesus and do a prayer. Just come to Jesus. Everything will be fine. No. To these people, becoming Christians, it cost them everything. It cost them everything. Their family would disown them. Their neighbors would hate them. Their friends would mock them. Their religion would want to call, kill them. The false teachers will put a heavy load and burden on them and want to cause them to stumble to live their lives for Christ Jesus. This whole thing, come to Jesus and that's it. Tell that to the first century Christians who died to self. Continue to conduct yourselves as heavenly citizens, Paul is saying. Stand firm as soldiers. Keep that post. Be a good athlete. Run together. And when the false teachers, false brethren, accusers, abusers, and wicked people come, don't be scared and strengthen one another. Strengthen one another. We hold the truth, brethren. Listen, if you are living the truth, you're going to have enemies. Do you understand that? If you are a Christian and you are living the truth in Christ, there must be people against you. There must be, according to Scripture, even false brethren who will oppose the Scriptures. You see, Satan and his minions are always at work and your flesh is always annoying you to keep you away from the freedom that you have in Christ. And how does he do that? He wants to, and your flesh wants to, bring this unity in the church. Uh, You're going to hear this next week. There there is one thing when this, this unity comes from outside, but it's another thing when the disunity happens within the body of Christ. And the false teachers will say, does Jesus really save? I mean, if I'm always going to be tossed to and fro, am I saved? Am I not saved? I won't be living my life for Christ. I did a, a study with a young man a couple of weeks ago to show him that he can have total security in Christ Jesus. And only then you're fired up to live for Christ. You've got to have oppositions. Even in your own family, you know when your flesh kicks in and perhaps you're getting a little bit, I won't say angry, but a little bit annoyed with your spouse or your kid who's an unbeliever. Uh Uh-huh, you call yourself a Christian, right? Well, yes, I do. Because what Jesus did on the cross has not changed. In spite of my sin, flaws and failures, All of my sins were nailed to the cross, amen? Past, present, and future. The gospel does not change. The apostle Paul says, if anyone will bring to you another gospel, let them be accursed. We need to be together. And Paul says, in fact, to these people and to everyone who rejects the truth of the gospel, who are against the gospel truth, it says to them, it is a sign of destruction, but to you of salvation. Paul is saying for these people, don't be alarmed because those who come against you are proven to be hellbound. They're proven to be condemned. No way around it. But to you who believe, it is salvation. Did you get that? Paul is saying, they pay attention, brethren. Your lifestyle, the way you live, the way you conduct yourself, the way you stand firm, the way you're striving together, the way you're preaching the gospel, it is a proof of salvation to you. To them, it is a proof of damnation because they're against the gospel. But to you, it is a proof that you are a child of God. Why? Because you are persecuted for righteousness. That's a huge testimony. 
And it's a huge examining time for us. You know what Steve Lawson said in his passage? I, I quote Steve Lawson so you don't get upset with me. So sorry, Steve, if you ever, ever got to hear this. But actually, I'm not sorry because I agree with him 100%. He said, if a Christian claiming to be a Christian does not suffer persecution, he's probably not a Christian. Did you get that? If you don't have persecution in your life because of your faith, according to Steve Lawson and according to this verse, by the way, that's why I agree with him. You're not a Christian. Why? Because it says to them, it is a proof of destruction. They're against you who are preaching the gospel. You see, you who are witnessing to them, you who are living this lifestyle, to you, it is a proof of salvation. And watch this, how wonderful this is. For those of you who are still in between understanding the sovereignty of God and perhaps want to believe that you chose God, let me read this to you. In no way be alarmed by your opponent, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too, from God. God sovereignly chooses his people and sovereignly condemns his enemy. Did you get that? God saves. You only believe because because God called you and saved you. And God is the one who does it all. So here's these three qualities that we must have as citizens of heaven, living here on this earth, gospel living together. Now we come to the fourth point or the fourth quality. This quality is one of those qualities, the, well, at least the second part of it. Many Christians like to overlook or don't speak about or perhaps just say something else or don't read it. Let me read it to you. Verse 29 and 30 together. For to you, who's you? The Christians. It has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict you saw in me and now here to be in me. For you. There's nothing to read into this. There's nothing to subtract out of this. We must accept the truth of God. This tells me, the second part of it, that a Christian is called to suffer for Christ's sake. I mean, there's a reason that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up the cross daily and follow me. Right? They understood exactly what Paul meant by suffering. Paul was suffering and that was suffering. And that was normal. But today's day and age, we try to overlook this. Well, let me break it down for you a little bit. It says, for to you it has been granted. For you believers, believers here and believers there and believers everywhere. It has been granted. That word granted is grace. So grace has been given to you, all of you. God's favor, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's forgiveness has been given to you and not for yourself. Look at what it says. Look at the verse. It has been given to you for Christ's sake. Salvation was given to you for the glory of God. Salvation was given to you for His honor, for His purpose. It was done that you may believe and be saved, but salvation was so that you may fulfill your God-giving blessing from God. It means that God does the saving here. We did not save ourselves. We didn't look for it. We did not want it. We didn't deserve it. For by grace you have been saved. The Apostle John wrote, For as many as received him, to them 
He gave them the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in His name, who were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is grace. And Paul is saying this gift that was given to you by God, this gift that saves you, is not yours. It was given to you for Christ's sake. And that means that an unbeliever can only become a believer, but the grace granted to him by God, where he receives that, and he will say, Lord, save me. And equally true is that a believer cannot become an unbeliever. You cannot lose your salvation because it wasn't yours and it's not yours. It was granted to you by God. This is the error that, that's been going on for years. No, no, no. I mean, you know, the Bible says that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand and the Son's hand, but you can walk out of it, the whole free will thing. No, you were saved not of your own will. Brothers and sisters, say amen in your heart. You cannot lose what you have and what you didn't have. It's yours. And Paul's reassuring these believers. But at the same time, he says, watch this. That same grace that was given to you for Christ's sake, it wasn't just to believe. Look at that. Not only to believe in him. So that grace that was given to you caused you to believe, but it wasn't just for that. It was also to suffer. And for who? To suffer for his sake. To suffer. That word means to be inflicted with pain. Uh, to experience some sort of terror. It speaks of punishment I do want to say this really quickly what this suffering is not talking about though. this suffering is not talking about you having a bad mother-in-law or a bad father-in-law or a rebellious neighbor who smokes weed I don't know uh, this suffering is not even illness or loss of a job or a bad boss or suffering because you don't get along with someone. Read the text. It says suffering for his sake. This is purely for the testimony of Christ. When we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, when we stand firm in our faith, together in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel when we live cross-eyed lives for the gospel. We suffer for his sake. And to suffer for his sake, that means there will be pain and uh, annoyance in, in one way or another. It doesn't have to be the way it was there, but it is for his glory. It is for the gospel. When your husband says, oh, be quiet, this Jesus stuff, that's for Christ's sake. When your child says, to, I don't want to hear it, Dad, that's for Jesus' sake. When your neighbor flattens your tires, I hope your neighbors don't flatten your tires, because you talk to them about Jesus. Or if your neighbor is your boss and he sacks you because you tell them about Jesus. God bless your heart. You're suffering for Jesus, but great is your reward in heaven. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, said this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will suffer. This was no news to them. They understood that. And Paul is trying to encourage them that the gift of salvation is also the same gift that they will suffer. Those who are citizens of the kingdom of God are those who live worthy in the manner of the gospel and they'll be persecuted for Christ's sake. It will differ from person to person, of course. Uh, it depends where you are. If you're in some place like China, 
there is a Bible between 150 people in, in churches that are underground. You know, persecution differs from place to place, from house to house. But according to Paul, you will suffer. Per- it is an actual fact. It's a gift to you. You know, Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I mean, I always look at that in like a, almost like a rhetorical thing. You just like, did you, did you actually understand this, right? I mean, you're seeing it before your eyes. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And if you were of the world, the world will love its own. This is a massive, massive thing. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And so we can put next to suffering for Jesus' sake and having opponents is that those opponents, they go on to hate you because they hated Jesus. You know, sometimes we say this, and I might have said it too, so I'm going to ask for forgiveness. You know, sometimes we may say, oh, they don't hate us, they hate the message. No, they hate you and the message according to the scriptures, okay? It's not just the message according to Jesus. You are hated. You're not liked. Welcome to the family of God. You are the most hated people on planet earth. When Jesus said in Matthew, you will be hated by all for my name. But here's what he says. But it is the one who has endured to the end will be saved. That means that the person who continuously lives his life for Christ, being persecuted for righteousness, not for silliness, not for the mother-in-law and the father-in-law and the brother-in-law or any laws, for Jesus' sake, he will endure and he will continue that until the end. He says, this one here is my child. That's a massive, massive statement, right, that we need to be aware of. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 30, look at this, and so you will suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict you saw in me and now here to be in me. What's Paul saying? You have seen my suffering, right? You've seen what I've experienced. I was flogged, I was shipwrecked and all these things. You have seen all these things. You have seen me suffer these things. In fact, and you are experiencing the same thing. Did you get that? He says, you're experiencing exactly the same thing as what I went through. In fact, I didn't just go through them and it stopped. You are now seeing it in me right now. You're going to suffer persecution for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. And I'll say it again. If there's no persecution in your life for Jesus' sake, you have to examine how are you living your life. In fact, according to Paul, you have to examine if you're a Christian. Because if the world loves you, I Jesus says the world's supposed to hate me. And the only way the world's going to hate me is when I preach Jesus Christ and Him alone crucified. If I preach only worldly things, guess what's going to happen to the world? They're going to love me. And I'm going to justify myself that I'm still a Christian, but according to God, salvation is sealed and secured in Christ, but it is revealed in the way you live. Remember that. It is secured in Christ and it is revealed in life. So we saw that standing together, these are the qualities as military people, striving together as athletes, witnessing the gospel truth even against oppositions together. And we suffer for the gospel together. This is is important for us. Next week, brothers and sisters, Paul's going to take it even further for the purpose of unity. This is important. To be one mind and one heart and one soul for the gospel. So here's where we just maybe give you a little bit of applications. What do I do with this? Well, the first question then I must ask, 
Are you a soldier of Christ? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Have you repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can become that soldier? Or are you still his enemy? Well, if you are a soldier of Jesus Christ and you belong to Saving Grace Bible Church, let me ask you a question. How are you being that soldier in this church? What's your post? How are you fitting in this church? What, what are you doing? As a soldier of Jesus Christ, are you keeping firmly your post? Is it service? Is it giving, teaching, evangelism? I mean, are you being a soldier? Because if you're not and you say, I still belong to this church, let me tell you, you're going to affect the rest of us. The rest of the body is going to feel it. Error can come in. Sin can come in. I call upon you to examine where you are as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Is the truth then of Christ? of Christ through the Apostle Paul, what we just read today as it was to the prophets of old, to the Reformers and to the Puritans and to Christ and to Paul and to all those who were willing to die, dipped in tar, burned alive and nailed to a tree is a dear to your heart. Is that dear to your heart? Paul, he has a, such a love and passion for these people, as we will see somewhere down the track when he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. And that means that Paul is telling this church to listen to good teaching. Are you listening to your elders' teaching? I love the fact that we get together and we talk about what Steve Lawson said and what John MacArthur said and what Paul Washer said and what some other guy said. But your elders are the ones who are looking over your soul. They're the ones who actually know what you need so that you can be encouraged and move forward as a soldier and as an athlete to run the race together. MacArthur is not accountable for you. Where's and I are accountable? In actual fact, you're accountable to us too. We're accountable to one another. I mean, God bless those faithful men whom we learn a lot from. But we want to keep it here in Saving Grace Bible Church a whole lot more than getting teaching from somewhere else. Are you united in heart, in one mind, with your brethren? for the purpose of the gospel, in building each other up in a faith. In fact, are you a team player or are you just a spectator or, or, or an umpire? This is a really, really hard truth, right? It's very easy to become a spectator. It's easy. Sit down and watch. And it's very easy to become an umpire. You just point the finger. Everyone else is wrong in Saving Grace Bible Church except Ralph. Very easy. It's challenging. So let us work hard as soldiers. Let us work hard as athletes so that Christ will be glorified in us because we are going to suffer persecution, trials, tribulations in life. Brothers and sisters, we need one another. If you're by yourself, you're going to fall. You will fall and you will affect also the rest of the body of Christ. Let me leave you some words from Jesus so that we can understand that the Apostle Paul tells us to stand firm, strive together for the faith of the gospel. You're going to have opponents. You're going to have trials. You're going to have uh, unbelievers who are going to annoy you. 
but that's a proof of salvation to you and you are called to suffer for his name's sake. It is a blessing. Here's what Jesus said on the most beautiful sermon ever preached and ever will be preached in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. And here's what he says. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we humbly come before your throne, Lord God, acknowledging, Lord God, that, Father, we need you. We need your help. We need to chip away at sin that clings to our flesh and temptations that the world may bring, that we would stand firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together, but not just for the sake of striving together, Lord, but for the faith of the gospel. We have such a high calling, Father, that we will live our lives as citizens of heaven. And for you have granted us salvation through the blood of Christ. And in that salvation, Father, we have a gift as we see in the Apostle Paul, that we will be persecuted for your name's sake. Let us rejoice. But Father, we cannot do this, Lord God, if we're standing alone, if we're soldiering alone, if we're running the race alone. We need to be together. But we need one another all the more. And we pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you will bind this church all the more together. And then the things of this world will become dim. And that Christ and Christ alone will be magnified in our midst, even if it costs our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen.